0: Turn to Daniel, please, and we'll look at Daniel 4, and we'll stand to give honor to the word of the Lord, starting at Daniel 4, verse 28, if you're able to stand. This is a prophecy of the fulfillment of... This is a fulfillment of the prophecy of the great tree in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. God's word, Daniel 4, verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power, for the glory of my majesty? While the, words, while the word uh, was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom ever he wishes? Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious passage of Scripture that you have brought forth praise even from one of the worst, worst, most vile pagan kings in history, an enemy of your people that you have brought to give you such praise. And we thank you for this, your word, and help us, we pray, to receive and believe what you have for us to learn from this, your holy word. For we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. For the unbeliever, you might ask, what does God have to do to bring an unbeliever to the point where they would profess him as the true, holy, and almighty God? To profess that he is the only one deserving of worship. Now notice I didn't ask. what. Do you have to do, or what might God have to do, to convince the unbeliever that God exists? He doesn't have to, because they already know that. Those who profess to be unbelievers know that God exists, but they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, according to Romans 1.18. But you might ask a follow-up question, what might God have to do to remove the suppression from their heart and mind, so they no longer suppress the truth and they no longer worship man and beast and the things of this world, but instead worship God as King of heaven. Today's text, I believe, gives us a very radical example of what God did for one particular man, King Nebuchadnezzar, to bring him to a point of understanding and giving praise to God Most High. And we'll look a little bit more at that. But as we focus on today's text, the main focus here is how God humbles the pride. The main focus is how God humbles the pride. We'll see this in, in three main points. We'll look at the king's pride, how God, hu- <coughs> excuse me, how God humbled the king, and thirdly, we'll look at the king's humble praise. So the king's pride, how God humbled the king, and then we'll look at the king's humble praise. So let's look at this first main point, the king's pride. Verses 28 through 30. All this, what's this? Um, The fulfillment of the prophecy that was just given earlier in the chapter. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, 12 months later that's 12 months after this vision of the great tree being cut down, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence for the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, 12 months. So, in a little bit of review, Daniel gave a prophecy, well, God, the whole, through the Holy Spirit, gave a prophecy to Daniel concerning a vision of a great tree that reached up to the heavens. It was so massive, it could be seen throughout the whole earth. And that tree represented Nebuchadnezzar and his reign that God had given him a mighty kingdom. But then that tree was gonna get cut down, and after that tree was gonna be cut down, it was gonna have a band of metal placed around it that it was gonna stunt it from sprouting back up for a period of seven times, uh, seven, it doesn't say exactly how long. And then afterwards, after that period was over, then the, the band would be removed, and then that tree would sprout back up again. Um, why did it take 12 months? If you look back at this prophecy, at the very conclusion of it, when, after Daniel interprets the vision, notice what he says to the king. Look at verse 27. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity Daniel was reluctant to prophesy this ill concerning the king he said may this be may this happen to your enemies but not to you o king but he said This prophecy pertains to you. If you repent of your sin and turn from your sin, maybe God will prolong your prosperity and keep this from happening. Maybe that's why it took 12 months. Maybe the king was a bit afraid of the prophecy and the interpretation of the prophecy and was watching how he spoke and what he did and what he said. But then one day, the king is reflecting on the greatness of his kingdom as he walks around Babylon. He walked on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now, what do you think the king was reflecting upon that made him so proud? Uh, there's a really interesting website um, with some beautiful artwork. Of course, the artwork is based upon imagination. It's not, it's not something historical, but um, the website is World History. Dot .org and in worldhistory.org it mentions Philo of Byzantium who in, around the year 225 BC wrote about the seven wonders of the world. And one of the seven wonders of the world were the hanging gardens of Babylon. Now these hanging gardens of Babylon were considered of great immense beauty. Now the funny thing is is that Later historians or more modern historians are even wondering, um, you know, where's the archaeological evidence for these hanging gardens of Babylon? You know, if you have hanging gardens, I don't think you're going to have as much archaeological evidence for hanging gardens as you would for a Colosseum, a massive temple or a palace or, or, or something of that sort, citadel, a hanging garden it's not going to leave behind as much uh, evidence necessarily. But regardless of whether or not, even though some question the existence of these hanging gardens, King Nebuchadnezzar was well known for his great building programs. He was one known for the beautiful architecture that he built. Um, Some um, talk about these glorious projects that he made, um, one is a very famous. It's called the Ishtar Gate. There's a replica of the Ishtar Gate. If you if you look it up online, you type in Ishtar Gate, you see a beautiful blue gate. But that's a modern remake of the old gate. The old gate is being actually at this time being reconstructed and preserved, and maybe they might seek to uh, to make it look grand again. But we don't know. Um, despite all this history. What did Daniel say? Daniel, in interpreting the prophecy that was prior about this great tree, he says this and back in Daniel four twenty two. O king, for you have become great and strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. To me, that sounds like a better compliment than a hanging garden, don't you think, of what Daniel said by means of the Holy Spirit and the interpretation of the king's vision. Because of the king's vast empire, Babylon had an immense amount of financial resources to build a, a great and beautiful city. Uh, if you, again, if you get some time, maybe look at some of those pictures uh, of the Ishtar Gate. Now, let's get a closer look at the pride of King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 30. Look at what he said. Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence for the might of my power and for the glory of of my majesty. Don't you think it's a little bit too much of himself in here, in this, in this sentence, in this statement? <laughs> the biggest problem here, it's me, me, my... Who is seated on the throne of Nebuchadnezzar's heart? It's sure not God Almighty. It's not even the gods who he said he believed in. He said he believed in a number of gods, of which in times past, when Daniel gave interpretation, he said that the God of Daniel was the greatest of the gods, so he still believes in a multiplicity of gods earlier, but here he's not even thinking of God of Daniel or any god soever, he's thinking about the idol of himself. He placed himself upon the throne of his heart, me, my, my power. And the chief, well, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And the God that Nebuchadnezzar had before, the God of heaven, was himself. Be f- careful, be careful if you place anything above God of heaven. He says, he shall, you shall have no other gods before him. If you have a business, God has granted you a beautiful home. Don't say, look at what I have built for myself and for my honor and for my praise. Well, make sure that God is in, is in the picture. Um, there, there was a time where I, I met a person and I, I, asked, I asked her, I said, what is your hope for the future? What do you want to do for your future? And this was a girl who grew up in the OPC. And she said something like this. Well, uh, you know, I want to go for, to college for, for this reason, for that reason. And, and she kept on going. And everything she said was all about me and my and me, me, me. And there was no God in the picture. There was no mention of God in this picture. So, I, I don't know, that kind of made me say, hmm... I don't know if this is a young lady I should pursue a relationship with, and I didn't. Secondly, how did God humble this proud king? Um, verses 31 through 33. While the word, these proud, these proud uh, words, while the word was in the king's mouth, A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. You uh, will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven and his, until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. These verses here record the mighty supernatural means that God used to humble this pagan king Nebuchadnezzar to a glorious purpose. Through this, God caused him to praise, exalt, and honor him, him above, as the king of heaven. Now, why did this happen? Nebuchadnezzar didn't heed the warning of Daniel to turn away from his sins by doing righteousness, and instead God inflicted upon him what looks like to be a God-given mental illness of some sort. Um, I was talking to Dr. Barnett about this before the um, before uh, the sermon. And there are some people that cannot find evidence of particular reasons why a mental illness exists. You can do scans, you can do chemistry tests, and you might not really find a physiological reason. Now, there are some, uh, it was my understanding that I had met psychiatrists before, that they, they felt like they could always find some sort of physiological reason for mental illness. Well, in today's text, we have an example of a spiritual, supernatural reason for mental illness. That it was something given by God, that caused by God in this man for a high purpose. So again, this mental illness is by a supernatural cause rather than a physiological cause. You you think of this uh, saying, desperate times calls for desperate measures. Well desperately stubborn, wicked kings, sometimes God uses extreme measures to humble desperately wicked kings, and he does that with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, could have God just all of a sudden sent his Holy Spirit into the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to humble him, to give him a new supernatural birth, to make him receive and believe the words of Daniel? Could he have done it that way? Yes. But God, in his wisdom, did this instead, causing one of the most mighty, most powerful kings of the ancient world to walk on his hands and knees like cattle, to eat from the grass and to have his hair get so mangled and like dreadlocks that it looks like bird's feathers. God did this to show his might, his power, and his wisdom. Now, verse 32 says, this God-given mental insanity lasted for Seven periods of time. I've had patients before with nails that look like bird's claws. I had a lady one time in, in the Carolinas that I worked with, and her nails grew on her feet to the point where they, they were actually going under her feet and touching the ground. She couldn't even wear shoes at all. And uh, one thing I remember was that I had, I had the, the privilege of being able to cut those nails. I can tell you that didn 't happen in seven months. It took years for that to grow in that condition and uh, so i 've read it elsewhere that it was seven periods of time is probably best understood as seven years. He had this condition for a period of likely of seven years otherwise he couldn 't have had sort of this hair this hair growth or this uh, Nail growth. Let's look next at the king's humble praise. Verses 34 through 35. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? I found it always it, this is just me, but I, I found these two verses some of the most magnificent praise in the Old Testament. Maybe it's because I know who it came from. Notice that King Nebuchadnezzar here is giving worship to the triune God of heaven. Verse 34. Blessed, he blessed the Most High. He praised and honored him who lives forever. I believe he learned this this title of God, the Most High, from Daniel. And now here he's using it, but I think he's using it more consistently. I think he ends up believing that the Most High is God alone at, at this point in his condition. He honored God who deserves all honor and praise and glory. Now, The text does not tell us, and we don't know this for sure, but sometimes I wonder when we go to be with the Lord in glory, and then later on the new heavens and and new uh, to enjoy the new heavens and new earth, will one of the people there be this King Nebuchadnezzar? Now some might say, Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is responsible for not only killing but torturing many people of, of God, of the covenant faith. He enslaved countless peoples. He had pagan authorities who went around mocking the God of the Hebrews, if you remember that, when they were threatening to siege Jerusalem. Think about this. I, I love this. This is, this is an amazing section of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, section 4. There is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there is no sin so great that it cannot bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Yes, even if he was guilty of torture and murder... If he repented of his sins, I don't. Know, we might see Nebuchadnezzar in glory. Notice this: when men like King Nebuchadnezzar raise up their fists unto God in pride and raise up themselves, here's one of the most magnificent, magnificent responses. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. For those who are proud and think themselves great, what's the reply of King Nebuchadnezzar? All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing in light of the glory of the Most High God. Now, what about those who go through tragedy? Maybe they've lost a loved one and they go through some trial or tragedy. Maybe they have a major health condition. And they shake their fist at God and say, What have you done? I heard of this case of this woman who asked this question, God, where were you when my son died? God, where were you when my son died? No, he was seated upon his throne in the same place he was when his son died when he gave his only begotten son to suffer and die for sinners such as us. So what do we reply when people say, where were you, O God, when this trial happened to me and when this problem happened to me? Has God abandoned me? Which some even believers can question. But notice what is said here in today's text. God does according to his will uh, he, is, he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off or push away his hand or say to him, What have you done? In light of this experience that Nebuchadnezzar went through, nobody can go and question God and say, What have you done? Look at how Nebuchadnezzar then reflected upon what God had done to him, but also the, the restoration of his sanity. Verses 36 and 37. At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and, my, and splendor was restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. Again, language of worship. Praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and all his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So we might ask this question again. What does God have to do to take an unbeliever to bring him to himself. Does God have to use extraordinary means, like in the case of Nebuchadnezzar? Does he have to use that to bring forth the benefits of redemption? Westminster Charter Catechism 88 says this, the outward, key word here, an ordinary means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption, or his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all by which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Don't you think it's kind of wonderful that God doesn't have to put you in a condition of mental illness for a time and then bring you out of mental illness to save you? What can he do to save you? The word, sacraments, and prayer. That's the ordinary means. But there's a supernatural function involved. For those who don't believe, God does a spiritual supernatural transplant of a heart of stone to give a heart of flesh. A unbelieving heart to then give a heart that is a believing heart. Yes, there's an ordinary means, the word sacraments and prayer, but God uses supernatural conversion To bring those things about, He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. He renews our will and He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ as He's offered to us in the gospel. A lesson to learn from today's text is beware of pride. Pride is idolatry. If God can humble the most proud, ruler of the ancient world, he can humble you. Beware of pride. Again, God used these extraordinary means to humble King Nebuchadnezzar. He could have left him to die in his pride and unbelief, but instead, King Nebuchadnezzar died blessing the Most High, praising and honoring Him who lives forever. And we should pray that for, for the, our unsafe friends and loved ones. Lord God, don't leave them in their pride. Lord God, don't leave them in their unbelief. Humble them. Use whatever means necessary. Humble them. And sometimes God will use circumstances. Extraordinary, he will use trial and tribulation to bring them to a place of humility instead of leaving them in in their pride and unbelief. Let's pray together. We pray, O Father, that you would help us to submit to your mighty hand, that you are truly to be blessed as the Most High God, that you are to be praised and honored because you are the God who lives forever. Help us, we pray, to submit to your mighty hand, Help us to submit that you are the king both of heaven and earth and that who are we to question you or to try to ward off your hand or to question your will and what you have done. Help us, we pray, to submit to you the king of glory for you are majestic and holy and all wise. You are the most high and the almighty God. We thank you that you are able to humble men, women, and children. And we pray that you would humble even us, O Lord. Make us a humble people. Help us to flee pride. And help us to give you the praise and honor and glory as the Most High God. We ask this, that you would work this in our lives through your Holy Word and through your Holy Spirit. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 533. Have thine own way, Lord. Let's stand and sing 533.